This is On the Border with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. A Red Apple Podcast production. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. Welcome to another installment of On the Border. I'm your host, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. And today, we have a very special guest with us, Sheriff Scott Jones. He is a sheriff in Sacramento, California. Now, Sheriff Jones, welcome to our podcast, On the Border. And we want to talk to you today about a case that is really troubling. It is the case of Mr. David Mora Rojas. But before we start talking the specifics of Mr. Rojas, I'd like to just talk about a suit, a lawsuit that you had to face. You were sued by the ACLU and by other leftist groups because you did something unconscionable in their view. You reported illegal immigrants to the federal government. Can you walk us through that lawsuit and walk us through why you did what you did? Sure. And that story starts many years ago. In 2014, we had an officer killed and an officer in adjacent Placer County killed by a guy who's now on death row, fortunately. But in the weeks that followed, I had learned that he had been removed from the country four times with no consequences, not for his criminality while he was here, not for being in the country illegally, and came in at least the fifth time and ultimately led to the events of that of that day. And so uh, I made it kind of a personal crusade of mine. I did a video plea to President Obama that went viral. I was on national news. I was invited to speak in front of Congress, which ultimately led me to run for Congress in 2016 to, to try and change those immigration laws. Well, in later in 2017, California passed the sanctuary. We became what's known as a sanctuary state law, where they have increasingly chipped away at law enforcement's ability to communicate with ICE. Now, it seems, if you look at that in a vacuum, it doesn't seem that objectionable, but to say that a law enforcement agency can't communicate with another law enforcement agency, that's the first time and the only instance where that is prohibited. I mean, it'd be like saying we can't cooperate with the FBI. There's no legal difference or distinction from it. So obviously, because of my personal experience, I was very much against and spoke out against the sanctuary state law before it was passed. Of course, it was passed, and then even since, there have been more and more efforts to chip it away, chip away at our ability to, to communicate with ICE. So I made no bones about it uh, from the very beginning that I was going to cooperate with ICE to the extent allowable by law. I wasn't going to violate state law. I even went back to D.C. and talked with ICE director at that time. It was Tom Homan and said, look, I will stand with you if you challenge these laws. I will be the test case for you. And ultimately, the, the federal government was unwilling to do it. But Director Homan was willing to come out and do an ICE forum, basically, out in Sacramento. So this is something that's been very, very personal to me. So I, I really have no desire to break the law as much as I don't agree with it. But the reality is the law is not doing what it should be doing to protect the citizens of our state, of course. And, and I suspect similar states similarly situated around the country. Now, before we move further into this, you mentioned that after the officer was killed, this illegal immigrant who had entered the country on five different occasions was convicted and sits on death row. I just want to remind our listeners that Governor Gavin Newsom has rescinded all death capital punishment in California unilaterally. So people that have been sitting on death row now for decades will never face the judgment that juries 
have determined, judges and juries have determined, that was suitable for their crimes, just like the convicted murderer of this police officer will never have to face the punishment that was decided for him by judge or jury. So I just wanted to add that in there. So Very true. Yeah, so now let's pick up from the lawsuit. So what happened to bring you into, what was the triggering point that led to the lawsuit? So the lawsuit is still active. There are certain things I can't talk about, but generally speaking, because of all the Trust Act, the Truth Act, and all these other nice-sounding acts that have been passed in California, each one limiting our ability to cooperate and interact with another law enforcement agency, ICE. And so I've made no bones about in my jurisdiction because of my personal experience and because my first responsibility is to keep people safe, including the undocumented population who are often the victims and, and prey of folks that are here illegally because they know they won't report to the police. I've made no bones about saying that I'm going to cooperate with ICE to the extent allowable by law. And so we do, we work within the confines of these crazy laws that are being passed in California to try and administer justice, keep people safe, bring offenders to justice, all of the things that we as law enforcement are supposed to do. So the lawsuit alleged, basically, then, and, and by the way, the ACLU, for whatever else it is or has been historically, is an anti-law enforcement organization in modern day. For whatever reason, that's how I would describe them. But mm-hmm. the lawsuit alleged that on more than one occasion that we violated the terms of the numerous acts that are out there chipping away at our ability to cooperate with another law enforcement agency and worked outside the bounds of that. So, for example, if we can't and, and you know, I'll, I'll use hypothetical examples because, again, I can't talk about the lawsuit because right. it's still active. But hypothetically speaking, if we aren't allowed to communicate with ICE or turn allow ICE into our facility to turn someone over to ICE, if they don't otherwise qualify, they can take custody of him outside of our jail. And so that happened on, a, on an occasion or two. And so they're, you know, in, in those instances, they might say, well, that violates the spirit of the sanctuary state laws. But if it doesn't violate the actual terms of the law, then I will do it. I have no desire to break the law. I have no desire to go against what the legislator and all their infinite unwisdom has passed on this issue. Yeah. But I do have a desire to keep people safe and to bring offenders to justice. And so that's, you know, we, we work within the and they hate that. They hate the fact that I'm willing to do whatever I can within the confines of the law to cooperate and bring offenders and hold offenders accountable. And so I'm, I'm as you can imagine, <laughs> in, in the capital city of California, I am an often favorite target of local politicians and local media. Yes, indeed. Now let's move to Mr. David Moore Rojas. David Moore Rojas has been deported before. He's had at least two encounters with the law. In April 2021, the mother of his three children obtained a restraining order against him after a domestic violence incident. On February 23, 2022, he was arrested in Merced County, that's about 115 miles south of Sacramento, for driving under the influence, assaulting a police officer, and assaulting medical staff. ICE served a detainer on the jail, but because of the state sanctuary laws, he was released. He walked out of that jail on a $15,000 bond. Can you tell us what happened five days later? Yes, and if I could just give you a little bit of background on that detainer is a detainer for your listeners is a request by ICE to say, look, we know who this guy is and we want him. 
Now, we don't have access to ICE's database, and they often don't have access to who we arrest and are in jail. So the cooperation is imperative between ICE and local law enforcement because we don't know what each other knows or the wants that each other has. So the, the mechanism for doing that is an ICE detainer, meaning, hey, we know who this guy is. We want him. Please don't release him. Now, for literally decades before President Obama took office, that worked fine. And that means we could hold an offender for no more than five days while we notify ICE saying, hey, local charges are are clear. He's free to get out of jail. We'll hold him for up to five days for ICE. If you want him, still want him to come and get him. After five days, they get released if they don't show up. That system worked fine for decades until President Obama said, well, we're just going to consider that now a request, not not a mandate, not a legal, legal requirement. And so from that point forward, they've just been considered requests. They haven't been given legal effects. So that empowered states like California to say, well, hey, 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 if the federal government isn't going to treat them as mandatory, then we're going to jump on that. And we're going to try and eviscerate the effectiveness of those even more. And so now they're nothing more than a notification. We, by, Because of California law, we accept them, but it has no legal effect. So in this case that you spoke of, they did the right thing. They served a detainer said, we know who this guy is. We want him. We want to take custody of him when his local charges are cleared or he's able to get out of jail. And the local jail accepted the detainer, as we would if it was in Sacramento County, but they were unable to hold him. But more than that, they're unable to even communicate with ICE to let them know he's going to be getting out. And so literally, he walks. Of course, now the offender knows who he is. They, he knows what he's wanted for. He knows that ICE. So he, he has a tremendous motivation to bond out of jail, which is exactly what he did, walks out of jail, a free man, to be able to commit this heinous crime five days later on a supervised visit with his three daughters and a chaperone for the visit. He pulled out a weapon and killed all four of them, killed his own three daughters, killed the chaperone, and then turned the gun on himself and killed himself. Now, this is five deaths, four of them innocent lives, daughters, the girls, nine years old, 10 years old. 13 years old, and an adult chaperone. In addition, Mr. Morjal Rojas used an Armalite rifle, no serial number, no manufacturer. It's a ghost gun, a privately made firearm. So there's no way that the weapon could be traced, and no one knows where he got it from. Correct. Now you're looking at five dead bodies. As a result, this is a direct result of California law. You cannot look at this any other way. Well, and I'll tell you, I agree with you because you'll have the, the liberals hopping up and down saying, well, look at this. It's, a, it's another death by an AR. It's another death by an assault weapon, which is a legally defined term. They'll say they'll pass some legislation. You know, they'll call it the bill named after these kids, and it'll shrink gun rights even further in California. But the reality is these things are all speculative. If he wasn't able to have that gun, he could have had another gun. If he wasn't able to use a gun, he could have used a knife. Everything is speculative that things could have been different except for one thing. There is one thing that could have assured this tragedy would not have happened, and that's if we are able to honor the ICE detainer that ICE served and said, we know who this guy is, we want him, don't release him. If we were, if that county was able to honor that, that is the only singular thing we know for certain would have prevented this tragedy. Everything else is speculative, but the legislators will pass some law and, and you know restrict gun rights even further, pat themselves on the back and think that they did everything they could to bring justice for this, these three beautiful girls and this chaperone. But the reality is that is the only one thing that could have prevented it, and they will not talk about it at all. Now, when you met with President Trump in 2018, 
You described California sanctuary state laws as creating spectacular failures all over the state. I would argue that the four innocent lives that were taken here, as well as his own death, are another one of those spectacular failures, almost beyond belief. And yet the Sacramento Bee, one of the media outlets, the main newspaper in Sacramento, criticized you for that statement. After these deaths, did anybody, did anyone from the media contact you and say, you know what, maybe you were right. Maybe you're right. This didn't have to happen. Oh, good Lord, no. You know, not that I expected. They're too far in the tank, the media, especially locally here. You know, the reality is, and when I posted about this on my Facebook page, I I used that exact exact example that you, you mentioned. I said, look, I was criticized and just raked through the coals for that state, that particular statement of the of the testimony I gave in, in the White House with the president and uh, the DHS secretary there and everybody else there I, for using the term creating spectacular failures. And, I, and, and my post said, look, I, I defy anyone to say that this isn't a spectacular failure. And, and these things are happening all the time. Now, not everybody, not every day, not every place, but Good Lord, when things like this happen, we have, you know, we have Kate Steinle in, in, in the Bay Area that, was, that made the news for a cycle, and then people forgot about it. People will forget about this. We also reality, had an incident. I re- keep recurring. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, Sheriff. We also had an incident that I remember from years ago when an illegal immigrant was so outraged in a road situation in Northern California, he got out of the car and killed the driver, and he attacked the driver's son. And this was, again, was an illegal immigrant that had been released due to these sanctuary laws. And yet none of your state legislatures who preen before the cameras and preen so proudly because they passed these laws want anything to do when California citizens are killed or citizens of the United States or even illegal immigrants are killed by some of these people who should not be in the country and who were detained and let go. They don't care. It's inconvenient to their narrative and their agenda, and they just don't care. I mean, the reality is, you know, they'll pass something and name it after the family or the victims in the case and sleep like babies at night, feeling that they've done as much as they possibly can. But, you know, in the meantime, they're creating a swath of victims all over the state and, and indeed all over this country there's just no accounting for, and they, and they don't feel the need to account for it. And really, the discussion about victims has really been kind of dismissed in this in the narrative about criminal justice reform and, and criminal rights. You know, no one is talking about victims' rights anymore, and that's a shame. We need to get back to where we're more concerned about victims' rights and preventing future victims than we are about, you know, trying to play nice with, with criminals who have a proven track record of violence and crime. Now, you are trying your best to uphold the law, and you are being sued for it on one hand. And how do you keep your motivation up to do your job? How do you come to work knowing that you're in a state that actually gives a wink and a nod to murderers and actually will protect murderers rather than protect law enforcement officers who put their lives on the line and also that these murders will take the lives of innocent citizens of the state. How do you keep your motivation up to come in and do your job? Well, I'll tell you, I mean, it's sometimes I go from exhaustion to, you know, anger to resolve. And, you know, these, some of these things happen and it just gets me disappointed. And it just, you know, I have a lot more gray hair than I did 12 years ago when I first became sheriff. 
But then I just get angry about it. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm running for Congress right now. I just can't stand the things that are happening in California and, and my community in Sacramento County are happening countrywide. And I just can't stand to see it. I can't stand to see the declination of people's safety, not only their safety, but their feeling of safety, which really for them is the reality, right? Whether they're safe or don't feel as safe is really the same thing. It's a distinction without a difference for people that are living in this country right now. And so I just, I find myself getting upset at the things that happen. And that just kind of turns into, I have to do something about it. I just feel like I, I don't have a choice. I'm driven to be able to you know, bring whatever experience I have to bear on these issues. And honestly, I have a voice and people listen to me. And, and the people that I am speaking for, the victims of crime, the political minorities here in California, they don't have that voice. And so I feel kind of a, you know, a responsibility to be able to use my platform to speak for those people. Well, Sheriff, you're dealing with an uphill battle, and we wish you the best in your race for Congress. And of course, nothing but sorrow over the innocent lives that continue to be lost because of these misguided laws and hope that one day the citizens of California will have had enough and demand change and demand that those who sacrifice the lives of Californians and others will actually be removed from office. Thank you so much for your time, Sheriff. We do appreciate it, and good luck to you. Thank you very much. And if anyone wants more information, they can find it on scottjonesforcongress.com. Absolutely. That's scottjonesforcongress.com. Thank you again, Sheriff. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. You too.